If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 7 and verse 12. And also while you're finding your place in the scriptures, if you would take your hymn book and turn to page 15. And I didn't realize this morning the words would all be on the screen, but if we could, when we look at the words, come thou fount of every blessing, so that the choir, I don't think y'all have your hymn books with you, or do you? So you can see the words on the screen as well, because I want to begin with this one verse of scripture and then share just a few thoughts with you from this wonderful, beautiful hymn by Robert Robinson entitled, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And today's message is really more of a testimony than it is a message. I want to share with you my personal testimony of how God has helped me throughout my entire life. And my faith and confidence is that he will continue to help me in the days and years that are ahead of me and Linda, no matter how long or short that may be. God is our helper and our guide, and we're looking to him with full confidence that as he has been faithful to us in the past, likewise, he will continue to be faithful to us and help us in the future that is to come. Raising my Ebenezer Stones is the title of the message today, and it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. Now, the Philistines had marshaled their forces up against Israel, and Israel again were shaking, as we say, in their boots for fear that they were about to be defeated. And they called upon Samuel to pray for them. And Samuel, of course, a great warrior, prayer warrior, uh, one of the last prophets of the, of the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, he committed, of course, to pray for them, asked for the Lord's deliverance. And God granted his request and his prayers. And Israel was delivered and saved from uh, the attack of the Philistines. And in commemoration of that, he raised or built a, a small monument. Don't know, I say small, could have been larger. It doesn't say the dimensions not given in the scriptures. It just says that he raised a stone and he called it Ebenezer. So that's what is found in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. <clears throat> then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and named it Ebenezer saying, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Now, the word Ebenezer means stone of help, stone of help. And so by erecting this monument or this stone and naming it Ebenezer, a stone of help, he was reminding the people of Israel that it was because the Lord came to their rescue that he was their helper and he was the one who gave them the victory over the Philistines. And he was erecting this monument, this stone of help, so that every time they looked at it, they would be reminded of the fact that it was nothing that they had done that gave them the victory over the Philistines, that it was all the Lord's doing and that they were to be grateful to him and faithful to him as he had been faithful to them. And the word help also means to succor which means to come to your assistance uh, to aid you. And so he goes on to explain in this verse of scripture the meaning of the word Ebenezer, stone of help, with the expression hitherto, that's the way the King James reads, hitherto has the Lord been your helper or been your help. And hitherto means up to this point, thus far, it is the Lord who has given you the victory and he has been your helper through all of this. 
And uh, this is the verse of scripture that serves as a basis for Robert Robinson's hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Look at the first stanza, if you would, please. Come thou fount of every blessing. The word fount or fountain refers to the exclusive source that is being referred to, that it is the Lord and out of and from the Lord uh, that this help has come. And he is the fount of blessings. Uh, fountain of blessing, uh, indicating that this was an old, ongoing, flowing a stream of blessings that would come upon them. So it is a fountain that never runs dry. I like to refer to it as an artesian well. An artesian well just never runs dry. It just continuously, 24-7, there's an artesian well down here uh, close to Humble uh, that is an artesian well. I remember seeing that. And every time I go by, I don't go by that often, but it's still flowing. It just never runs dry. Notice he says in the first stanza, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. To tune, of course, a tune an instrument is to be in harmony with all the rest of the instruments. And when referring to the heart, it means that I am in harmony with the Lord. That uh, there is nothing that stands between me and the Lord. That uh, what sins I am aware of and have been convicted of, I have prayed and asked for forgiveness, and so I'm a clean instrument, hopefully, in the arms and hands of God, and that he uh, has tuned my heart, and that's what I want my heart to always be. Uh, I want my heart to always be in tune with the Lord. I, I don't want sin to interrupt my fellowship with God because I know that if I harbor sin in my heart, God cannot use me. God cannot bless me. I cannot be a channel of blessing to other people. So I must be in a harmonious relationship with the Lord that I can walk with him uh, in, in spirit, that every moment of every day that I am tuned with him. And then he goes on in that first stanza to talk about streams of mercy have never ceased. And as I look back over my life, I can certainly, as many of you and all of you who claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, can testify of the same thing, that, that God's streams of mercy have, have never ceased to flow. And, and the book of Lamentations says in the third chapter, verses 22 and 23, it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Wonderful thing among many others about the Lord is that he's not dull and dry and it's the same old, same old day in and day out. God is new with his blessings every single day of our lives. All the blessings and mercies of God in my life call for songs of loudest praise. And I want the Lord to be praised for all the good things that have ever happened to me. There's nothing good about me. There's nothing that I've done, nothing that I am that deserves the streams of mercy that God has seen fit to shower upon Linda and myself. It is all belonging to the Lord. He is the one who receives the honor, the glory, and the praise forever and forever and forever. It is my prayer that due to these streams of mercy, as the song also goes on in the last stanza, praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. And I would hope that I would always be fixed on the mount of God's redeeming love. The second stanza says, here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by or up to thus far, the Lord has been 
the helper. He is the one that has enabled me to come to the point that I am in today. And there's a future thought here. I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. It talks about your death, talks about heaven, and that uh, God who has been faithful and our helper through all of this will continue to be so even until the very day that I'm here upon the earth and draw my last breath and enter into the heavenly home that God has prepared for me. And uh, he, God has interposed his precious blood he has come between me and uh, my, my sins and has erased everything between myself and the Lord through Jesus Christ, who is the uh, mediator between myself, yourself, and the Lord. Uh, thank God he is the one who has allowed the two of us, God and myself, to come together and have a personal relationship. And so it, it all belongs to the Lord. And so uh, today I want to raise my Ebenezer stones. Notice it is in the plural. Because as you could testify, if given the opportunity to do so, that there has been more than one Ebenezer uh, that you have raised in your lifetime to say, you know, truly, uh, I'm blessed of God. Uh, I am here today because of him and, and, and not of anything that I have done. God has been my helper every step of the way. In Hebrews 4, 16, it says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the nick of time. At just the right time. You ever been in a situation where you wondered, man, all the doors have been slammed shut. We are in a dead end road. Uh, there just seems to be no way out of the distress or the trouble or whatever it is that you are in. And then God just comes at the right time uh, and he opens the door and, and he makes a way and he resolves everything for us. It's wonderful to have that kind of God, to know that grace is available to help in the nick of time or in the time of need. And of course, for you and for me today, that help also comes in many forms through the scriptures, also through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also called God's helper. You remember in the 14th chapter of John's gospel, before our Lord left, he said, I'm going away. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he calls the Holy Spirit the helper, the Holy Spirit who is the helper, and he will help you. So I have the Holy Spirit living in me. If you are a child of God, you do too. And so you have a constant day by day, step by step of your life as the Holy Spirit being your helper to sustain you, to succor you, to assist you, to empower you. And the idea here of hitherto has the Lord been my help, the word help also carries with it the idea of victory, that the Lord has succored me, he has assisted me, he has encouraged me, he has lifted me up, and he has given me the victory. He has given me the victory, and he does the same thing for you. So I have three points today, with about 20 under each sub-point underneath, <laughs> okay? But I want to spend a few moments as my personal testimony to share with you how in the past God has been my helper, and then to share with you in present tense how the Lord continues to be my helper. And then the third idea that uh, I have the full confidence that because of his faithfulness to me in the past, uh, he will continue to be faithful as my helper uh, in the days to come, no matter what they may be. So let me begin by sharing with you how the Lord has helped me in the past. The verse of scripture says, thus far, the Lord has helped me. Looking back over my life, 
uh, from the time that I was born until the time that I came here as your pastor, I can truly say with great confidence that the Lord has been my helper. Psalm 25, 6 says, Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. So his way of saying, you, I look back over my, from the very beginning, God has been very faithful as my helper to sustain me. And the Lord has indeed for me. I was born in 1943, October the 13th, 1943, the fourth son of Lizzie May and Orville Reed in Pittsburgh, Texas. That's where I discovered America. Um, I was born at a time when there was a rainstorm going on outside. So uh, my family or my mother and dad said it was. I was not born in a hospital. I was born in a house. I was born, if you know anything at all about Pittsburgh, Texas, where uh, uh, Pilgrim's Pride uh, uh, business is, the big uh, manufacturing company, it sits right on the property uh, by the house where I was born. And uh, I was what I was told, they called in those days a blue baby. When I was born, I had respiratory problems. And there was a dear lady who assisted Dr. Lacey, who delivered me, uh, who would dip my body in warm water and then in cool water to help uh, my, my breathing and my lungs to function properly. And God, that was my first uh, Ebenezer, that God helped uh, my mother in the delivery and the doctor and the lady who helped. And uh, so I survived the birth process, first time I'd ever experienced that. And so it was glad to know that the Lord was there to help me. That began, of course, my journey on earth. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a family who, who took me to church. Uh, my, my folks, unfortunately, were nominal Christians. They were not devout Christians. They were Christians. But uh, my dad had to, to work part-time many times on the weekend. And so consequently, there were a lot of times that he was not able to come to church. My mother, however, did go to church. She was a nursery worker uh, in our church. And the, the earliest recollections I have of going to church when, as about a four or five-year-old child, especially on Sunday nights, I would go with my mother to the nursery uh, because uh, they had a little chair that I could sit in and serve Ritz crackers and Kool-Aid. And uh, so I ate Ritz crackers and drank Kool-Aid while I listened to the pastor's sermon over the uh, wall speaker that was piped down to the nursery so that the nursery workers, uh, don't ask me what he preached on, I don't know. I just for some reason knew that something was going on and, and I tried to listen as best as I could. Finally, in August of 1951, Having been in Sunday school, being in vacation Bible school, and in those days, vacation Bible schools lasted for two weeks. Can you imagine that, ladies, having to put up with your children, not just for one, day, one week, five days, but for two weeks. And so we had two-week vacation Bible schools. I remember the little scripture verses, cards that were given, a package of them, and we were uh, encouraged to memorize those during those 10 days. And if you memorize uh, those uh, verses of scripture that were on those scripture cards, then you got an extra prize. And so I went to vacation Bible school. I went to Sunday school. Uh, I, I did all of those things in, in the early days of my life, preparing myself, the Lord not realizing the Lord was helping and working on me so that when I became eight years of age, uh, on a Sunday afternoon in August of 1951, my brother, Gerald, who was two years older than I, 
Uh, our father uh, took us to the pastor's office on Sunday afternoon, and I prayed and asked the Lord to come into my life and to save me. That was another uh, rock of uh, Ebenezer stone that I can say that that was the day that the Lord saved me and called me to, to be saved and for which I will ever be grateful. Uh, Brother Eugene uh, Moore was the pastor at that time. He was the one who baptized me. I was fortunate enough to live at a time when it was customary in our small town for teenagers to go go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday nights, and on Wednesday nights, believe it or not. We had all those times together. I was an RA, a royal ambassador, and a lot of other things that I did uh, that I can't talk about that I uh, did in Sunday school classes. But I think the Lord used all of those things to prepare my heart so that when it came time for me to be saved, uh, that uh, I was and, and was prepared for that. As a teenager, uh, we continued to go to church, and it was at that time that the Lord began to speak to my heart about what I was going to do with my life. I was a junior in high school, and uh, as a lot of the uh, high school kids at that time were beginning to think about, well, what are you going to do with your life? I thought that I was wanting to be a history teacher. Uh, I felt like that uh, that, uh, that would be something I would enjoy doing. I've always enjoyed history uh, until I took a history course in college and made a D on it, and <laughs> I felt like the Lord was leading me in another direction. <laughs> but at that time, that's what I wanted to do. I thought I'd be a school teacher and, and, and a history teacher. Uh, but uh, as I continued going to, to church, uh, the Lord, uh, my, my pastor at that time was Brother Ed Shirley, uh, Ann Campbell's uh, dad, Ann over here playing the, the flute. Uh, we grew up together. Uh, I even danced with, with uh, Ann on one occasion in a school play. Okay. It, was, it was legitimate. It was okay, all right? It was in, <laughs> it was, it was in a school play. Uh, uh, and... Uh, so we danced on stage in front of all the people. So it was, it was all right, Ann. I would never will always remember that. But Ann's father, Ed Shirley, was my mentor. And uh, many, he didn't realize it at the time. But even on Wednesday nights when I would go to church, the Lord would just use Brother Ed to speak to my heart. Uh, there was another man that God used. who uh, His name was Brother E.P. Uh, Brother e. Wooten. Uh, Brother Wooten was a bivocational pastor. He was pastor of Pine Baptist Church between Pittsburgh and Gilmer. And um, uh, he built his own house uh, right next door to ours. He, he worked making blinds and aluminum screens. And I began to work for him. I, I made aluminum screens, made Venetian blinds. Uh, the thing that I enjoyed about that most of all is being a bivocational pastor. I had an opportunity in <laughs> a drop of a hat. He would sit down with you and just, just talk. And we had some wonderful talks together. And I began asking him, uh, Brother Wooten, how, how did you know that God was calling you to preach? And he would share with me his experience. Uh, there, there was a, a seminary student, uh, Bill Beckham, uh, who grew up in our church. And uh, one summer during that period of time, uh, he was home for the summer. And he was conducting a Wednesday night uh, prayer meeting time. And he gave verses of scripture on little slips of paper and, uh, and handed them out to us uh, to read. Uh, for some reason, he, he skipped me or for, ran out of time or whatever. I, I never got to read my verse of scripture. Uh, but it was John 15, 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. So uh, for some reason, again, I think the Lord was just using that to impress upon me that this was a verse of scripture that I needed to claim for my own. And so I used John 15, 7, and at nights when I would kneel to pray, 
I would use that verse of scripture and I would say, Lord, you know that you're my savior. You live in my heart. Uh, you are in me and I am in you. And I'm asking you to please show me what it is that you want me to do with my life. Uh, as time would move on, I would go back and forth to Brother Ed's office and talk with him. Finally, one night on Saturday night, uh, he asked me at a meeting that we were having in the fellowship hall if I still felt like God was calling me to be uh, a preacher, pastor. And I said, yes. Uh, and one of the things that Brother Ed had said to me, he said, how do you know that you're being called? He said, you just can't ever get away from it. I mean, it's constantly on your mind. It's not something that comes here and then later and you forget about it, but just, it just weighs heavily on your heart. You just feel a compel, compelling on the inside of you that this is what the Lord wants you to do. And I just never could get away from that. I couldn't get peace about that. And it's just like uh, little Samuel, you know, when the Lord would call him the third time, he finally said, here am I, Lord, what, what do you want? And I just felt that the Lord was using all of these people and this verse of scripture to reveal to me what he wanted me to be. And so that next Sunday morning, the next morning, I went forward during the invitation time and made public to Brother Shirley as well as to the entire congregation that I felt that God wanted me to be a preacher, to be a pastor. And I have not... <laughs> I've not looked back nor turned back since that time. So Brother Shirley uh, took me under his wing, became my mentor. I didn't know what I was going to, I, I was licensed. The first sermon that I preached uh, was where Bill Beckham, he, he, the young man that I told you about, uh, was pastoring a small church in Mount Pleasant. And so he asked me to come over and preach. So my first sermon was preached in a little house church. I mean, we were in a living room. There were about 50 people. But as far as I'm concerned, it could have been 5,000 people there. I preached on Acts chapter 17 to the unknown God. I had seven points. <laughs> and finished them in 15 minutes. <laughs> so you just thought I was just coming up with all these long sermons. I've been preaching long sermons since day one. The next Sunday, I preached uh, before my home church, Brother Shirley there, and I preached on what Jesus means to me. I'd cut it down. I only had six points that night, what Jesus means to me. And it was that night on May the 21st uh, that um, the church at First Baptist Church, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, licensed me to the gospel ministry. Brother Shirley was uh, a board a member of East Texas Baptist College. I didn't know where I was going to go to school. I heard other students talk about they're going to this college, that college, this university. I had no idea. At the time, nobody in my family had ever attended college. And I was the first one to go. And so Brother Shirley was a board a member at the East Texas Baptist College. And he took me to the campus on one occasion when he had a board meeting. So I got to be introduced to the campus and make a long story short, that's where I ended up. Uh, going to, to college, I majored in sociology and minored in speech. I wanted to be a major in speech, but in those days, they wouldn't let you major if you weren't going to be a school teacher, and I didn't plan to be a school teacher, so I ended up majoring in sociology and minoring in speech because I knew that I'd be spending the rest of my life dealing with people and giving speeches and sermons. In fact, I've preached over 5,100 sermons in this church in the 35 years that I've been here, so I've been preaching a, a little while. Uh, then also at, um, at Marshall, East Texas Baptist, that's where Linda and I met. 
I believe that was the biggest Ebenezer stone that I've ever raised in my entire life to know that uh, the Lord uh, allowed our paths to cross. Uh, when she started going to East Texas Baptist, her mother said, I know, I know you're going to marry a preacher. And uh, sure enough, the Lord answered her prayers. <laughs> but uh, uh, I proposed to Linda on July the 4th of 1964. Thank you. She's my helper too, you see. Uh, the night before I was ordained, we were in the pastor's home, the First Baptist Church of Vider, Brother Benton Sherrod, where I'd been serving that summer as youth minister, had requested my home church to uh, ordain me. Uh, Brother Shirley had moved to First Baptist Church Atlanta, Texas by that time, and Brother Bill Beasley was the new pastor. And uh, so uh, they had requested my ordination, and so that... Uh, Saturday night before that Sunday, I was in the pastor's home in Vider, uh, courting Linda and proposed to her that night and she accepted. And so uh, we were privileged to get married and a few, few couple of years later, uh, that day that I was ordained, they, one of the last questions they asked me was, uh, they said, well, the only thing that I can see that's wrong with Brother Reed is he doesn't have a wife. And I assured them I was working on that. <laughs> That afternoon, I'd made the, the suggestion. I'd heard of Dr. Criswell, but didn't know much about him. I, I, I said, you know, I'd love to go to Dallas and hear Dr. Criswell preach. And so one of the deacons who was with me said, well, let's go. So we piled in the car and got to Dallas in time to, for me to go to the bookstore at the First Baptist Church of Dallas and buy one of Dr. Criswell's books, the expository notes of the Gospel of Matthew. Got to hear him preach, meet him after the service, and got him to autograph uh, my book. The only regret that I have, I didn't have a camera uh, to, to take a picture of myself with him, but it is a, an experience, an Ebenezer time for me that I will always uh, be grateful for that I got to meet him in, purpose, uh, in person and be blessed by him. Um, so I make a, I'm running out of time already. I'm not through half the first point here. So. I became pastor of the Midway Baptist Church on the Highway 271 between Gilmer and Pittsburgh and uh, served there for four years, uh, three years during the college and then one year in the seminary. I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, which was the best years of my education, although I enjoyed my college years, but the seminary, just to be there, uh, to sit at the feet of some of the greatest theological teachers uh, that a person could ever enjoy. It was the golden years of Southwestern, and I was privileged to, 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 to learn from some of the uh, best theological professors uh, that, that, uh, that you could ever hope to, to, uh, to be a part of. I've had the privilege through the years of being the pastor of five churches, the Midway Baptist Church, the first one that I was in, and my, how the people took care of us. They just took us in. We were so green and, and inexperienced as far as being a pastor was concerned, uh, and yet uh, they were very gracious and, and, and helpful to us. The second one was at First Baptist Church, Cumbie, Texas, up by Commerce. Uh, David was born when we were at uh, Cumbie. And then I went to Braeburn Glen Baptist Church in Dallas, which was a, a church of uh, uh, Shallow Terrace Baptist Church. Unfortunately, the church no longer exists, but uh, we were there for four years in Dallas. That was when Micah, our son, was born. And then after that, I went to Quitman, First Baptist Church in Quitman, where I served for six years before coming here. That's where our daughter Carrie was born. So you can imagine the hesitancy of our wanting to come here.
every time we moved to a new church, we had a baby. <laughs> it scared me this last week. The Berean Sunday School class had a little party afternoon, and I was told the invitation, you know, when I went there uh, uh, to the Fellowship Hall, they had a table over against the wall that was filled with baby idols. <laughs> they had sent a card out saying, come honor Dr. Reed and Linda and bring a baby gift. I was relieved to find out it was for heartbeat. It wasn't for us. <laughs> Boy, I looked at Linda and said, honey, you know something I don't? <laughs> okay. Oh, man. When I was at Quitman, before we came here, I knew the Lord was getting ready for us to move because in a year's time, I was contacted by 10 different pulpit committees looking for a pastor. And uh, I even went before a church in view of a call and they voted to call me. But I never could feel that it was right, even though I had agreed to go on and preach in view of a call. And I turned them down. And the Lord had a reason and a purpose in it because the next committee, the 11th one, was from here. They visited about three times, I think it was. I told Linda, if they come back, I'm going to ask them to join. <laughs> <laughs> To make a long story short, uh, the, the Christmas of 1980, we had been to Conroe to visit with Linda's family and were on our way back and they had asked us to stop and visit with the committee uh, one final time before they presented us to you. And uh, we had our kids with us, David and Micah and Carrie. We warned them, you better be on your best behavior because... <laughs> They had to sit in the room with us as we were talking with the pulpit committee, the pastor search committee, and fortunately, they didn't do anything that I know of to this day to embarrass us, and so the Lord blessed. But that's just kind of a, a brief summary of what happened in the first uh, years of, of my life and of my ministry. But let me move to the second idea now and talk about how the Lord has helped me in the present time for the, for the past 35 years. Notice the verse of Scripture in Psalm 46, 1. God is, that's present tense, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So now we shift gears into the present tense. The pulpit committee members consisted of Dr. George Thompson, who was the chairman, Charles Poole, Milton Moore, Bill Sylvester, John Sutton, Ruth Cooksey, Jewel Acreage, Don Prince, and Jean Rudelsel. My seminary uh, professor, who was uh, uh, my helper during the Doctor of Ministry program, Dr. Harry Hunt, uh, was my faculty supervisor and after I graduated in December of 80 with my Doctor of Ministries degree then Dr. Hunt recommended me to this church as pastor and that's how the process began. I preached my first sermon in view of a call on February the 1st of 1981 entitled The Preaching of the Cross based on 1 Corinthians 1.18. And the, the Lord, of course, impressed upon our people to call us as pastor and pastor's wife. And we began our ministry here, of course, in March the 1st of 1981. The weekend that we came in view of a call anticipating the possibility of our being called and accepted that we would need a place to live. I didn't have, I didn't own a house. I've only owned two houses in my lifetime. But once when we were in Dallas, we sold that when we left and I lived in parsonages all of those other times. And so I didn't have a house. So we needed one. 
And so Charles Poole, a local realtor and deacon in our church, uh, took us around that weekend showing us different houses. We saw a lot of houses, but there was only one that we really wanted, and that's the house that we now presently live in. When we visited that house, uh, Randy Stewart was the contractor and the builder. He was there that day. The house had been developed to the point that all that was lacking, a few minor details, but was the, the wallpaper and the paint. We really felt that that was the house that God wanted us to, to have. So uh, I told Randy, I said, well, I really can't commit to buying the house until after I go before the church, because you know, they may not accept me. They may turn me down. And so I don't want to commit until after that. Could you hold the house until Monday? He said, yes, I can do that for you. And so, of course, the church called us. We went next, the next day, Monday, to, to Randy and tell him that they'd call, you had called us and that we wanted the house. And he had saved it for us. But he said, you know, Saturday afternoon, I had a man who came by and wanted the house and offered me cash if I would sell it to him. And he said, I couldn't. I kept my word. I just, the Lord wanted us to have it. And I will always be grateful for Randy, Randy Stewart. He's still here in Nacogdoches. And he was a great worker. And he's a man of his word. He's promised us that he would hold it to, to, for us until we would know for sure whether or not we would come. And he did. And so we're grateful for that. Well, I, want to, I need to move on. The first sermon that I preached, the Sunday that I came, March the 1st, 1981, it was entitled, What Makes a Church Great? And I tried to emphasize that the size of a church doesn't necessarily make it a great church. It's what's in the hearts and lives of the people. First and foremost, you've got to love the people. I remember Dr. John Wright, who for many years was pastor of the First Baptist Church in Port Arthur. He was the interim pastor at Cumbie when I went to, in view of a call when I went to that church. And he was there that Sunday that I preached. And they had a luncheon for us after that. And I visited with Dr. Wright and I asked him, Dr. Wright, what kind of advice can you give to me to help me to be the kind of pastor that First Baptist Church of Cumbie needs? He gave me four words. Just love the people. And it was nothing new that I already, I already understood that, but it just underscored and emphasized the importance of loving people. And I've practiced that throughout my ministry, and especially here at, at this church, your people. That's why I walk up and down the aisles every Sunday morning. I'm glad you're here. I love you. And that's why I tell you I love you uh, from this pulpit, because I do. It's not just words that come from my mouth. You know, we are to love Jesus and we're to love one another. And I wanted this house and I want this house. And it is a house of love where we do love one another. And that doesn't mean that we don't have our problems and our disagreements and our difficulties. But love wins it all. We need to be united. That was another point that I made, that we all need to work together and be uniformed. I said, I want our church to be the kind of church that no matter who walks through the doors of this church, they would be welcomed here. And that there would be a place for them. That we would not be a church known for senior adults or youth or college students. But a church that would be for all people of all ages, of all needs, of all races. That you could come here and feel welcomed and accepted and loved by the people of this church and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's been my dream and ambition through the 35 years that we've had the privilege of being here with you. 
uh, staff members. We have wonderful staff members. You know the story of how you allowed me to take the money that we'd been using to pay off debts and use it to invest in, in, in having staff members. County myself, we have eight full-time staff members, which is an unheard of thing for a church in our size. To have three, four or five, yes, but to have eight, I'm told that only there's one person can only minister to a maximum of 100 people. But if you have eight, we have 800 people, hopefully, who are being ministered to. And we have all kinds, uh, Bobby, Brad, Andre, David, Melanie, Joel, uh, Jonathan. Uh, hope I haven't left anybody out. Uh, all, all of these guys are extensions of my own ministry for which I am grateful. They can do things that I can't do, go to places I can't go to, minister to people that I can never minister to. And so my ministry is expanded because of them and their faithfulness. And our deacons as well. What a wonderful group of deacons we have. I remember one sermon when I was preaching a series of sermons on Satan and the devil and all of these things. And that Sunday I was preaching on demons and when I finished my sermon and I finally said, that's all I've got to say about the deacons. <laughs> it was just like what you were doing. It, it, it was like a, the wave, you know, at the ball game. It started over here and it just spread all over the congregation. Oh, the pastor called the deacon uh, demons. <laughs> oh, yeah. 1998 was not a good year for myself or for Linda. That was the year that I had my heart attack and almost died. Did all the things that were wrong. Called the doctor and went to his office instead of calling for the ambulance. Got in the doctor's office, did all the exams. He said, you're having a heart attack right now. Got to get you over to the hospital. This Dr. Lede over there behind Mother Francis, uh, Mother Medical Center. And so they put me in a wheelchair. And the nurse didn't push me. I told Linda to go get the car. Uh, usually the nurse pushes the wheelchair. Dr. Lede said, I'll, I'll push you out to the curb. So he pushed me out to the curb and uh, Linda was coming with the car and he looked at her and said, let me just, I'm just going to take him on over to the hospital myself. So he started pushing me across the parking lot uh, toward medical center hospital and got about halfway there and took out in a run. Started running with me. And I thought to myself, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble, deep trouble. Finally got me to the hospital, ran with me all the way down the hall to the emergency room area. Got me on a table where I passed out. Next thing I knew, when I woke up, they had me on a gurney pushing me down to intensive care unit. And I said to the fellow who was pushing me, I said, last thing I remember, it seemed like somebody was pounding on my chest. And he said, well, that was me. He said, we had to shock you twice. Started to shock you the third time and you came around. God spared my life. Ended up having three bypasses. Six months later, had another heart attack when one of the smallest bypass blocked on me. And uh, so the Lord just was taking care of me. It was that same time that Linda came in after all that happened and announced to me that she had breast cancer and uh, had to, fortunately, not to have, didn't have to have a mastectomy, but uh, did have to go through some chemotherapy, but 1998 was not the best of years for us other than the Lord was there to help. I never will forget the deacons, the four or five deacons who came to our house during that time and said to us, it doesn't matter what you have to do or how long it takes. We want you to get well.
Wasn't too long after that, family members began to die. I lost two of my brothers and my father in four months, beginning with November through March. And I had to conduct and did, didn't have to. I was privileged to conduct the funeral services for my dad and for my two brothers. My mother had died previously uh, the first year that Linda and I were born. Uh, born. <laughs> when we were married, the first year of our marriage, uh, my mother died. And then also uh, Linda's mom and dad, Sam and Letha Vandenberg of Conroe, both of them passed away. Her dad was a deacon at Mims Church in Conroe. And uh, Letha, her mother, won her father, or Linda's father, to the Lord. He was not a Christian when they got married. And she led him uh, to trust the Lord as, as her Savior. Uh, so uh, all, all of those things have helped. I guess one of the highlights of, of our church since I've been here was the building of our children's building. And how the Lord, you know, we had a choice to make whether it's going to be a sanctuary or a children's building. And we went with the children's building. And I'm so glad that we did because that is such a tremendous ministry that we have. While I've been here, of course, we've had a television ministry uh, that the Lord has blessed. We've reached so many people with our television ministry. Uh, the article that I would read, uh, uh, print every week in the newspaper, read all about it. Uh, I'm no longer doing that, but that reached a lot of people. I've been able to put it in a book. I also have another book, as you know, uh, if I'd known you were coming, I'd have dusted your pew. That's what Linda said to a deacon in the first church I pastored. And so the church is full of humorous things that have happened. And I'm pleased to announce to you that I've got a new book coming out. And this is a copy of it. And uh, yeah, we've got a picture of it on the screen. Uh, I have been told, confirmation, that uh, the copies are en route. Uh, it's called Feeding the Lord's Flock. I've taken 10 sermons that I've preached over the years and have put them in a book. Um, when those books arrive, this is, a, this, is not, this is the proof book here that I have. Uh, the Lord willing, they will be here sometime this week. I'm dedicating it to you. It's dedicated to the members of First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. Each family will receive a free copy uh, when they get here. We just ask that uh, Raina and her helpers will mark your name also. We'll know that uh, you've gotten your book. If you want more than that, it'll cost you 2500 No, it won't cost you that much. <laughs> but we want to give each person, each family, one free. And if you want more than that, of course, we'll, we'll need to sell them to you. But as soon as they get here, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be able to do that. And it's a ministry that I hope to continue. Third and quickly, let me say, the Lord will help me in the future. I've been asked time and time again, what in the world are you going to do in the future? And... Uh, you know, a lot of the future for us is unknown. Uh, I hope to continue to preach. Notice the verse of Scripture, Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Will is a future tense. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So I certainly anticipate the Lord's faithfulness to continue with us in the days to come. The words hitherto or up to this point, the Lord has helped us, implies a future that the Lord has been faithful to help us to this point. He's going to be faithful to help us in the future. Uh, although uh, the future is uncertain, it was also for Abraham 
Abraham's future was uncertain. He, it says, went out looking for a city. He didn't know where it was, didn't know what it would look like. Herschel Hobbes in his commentary on the passage there in Genesis says that when Abraham left, he left the seen for the unseen and uh, he walked by faith when he could not walk by sight. I, I don't know what the Lord has in store for me in the future. I hope to be able to preach at whatever opportunities the Lord will provide. I hope to maybe continue some of my writing. Beyond that, I hope to live one day at a time. One day at a time. That's the only time that I have guaranteed is today. And I don't know if I'll live through the day. Neither do you. I, I want to, to pray daily for God's leadership. I've been doing that. I want to continue doing that. I want to walk in the Spirit as the Bible encourages to do so. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I want to be a witness to anyone who needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Just because I'm no longer being a pastor, that doesn't mean that I stop witnessing and stop sharing. We're to be witnesses until the Lord comes. And I want to do that at every opportunity the Lord will give me to share Christ with some person. I want to be faithful in following Jesus. I want to be a prayer warrior, continue doing that and being a part of that. I want to be joyful and thankful every day. I'm not going to sit and twiddle my thumbs and sulk and pout because I don't have anything to do. I want to rest for a while. I want to go visit my grandkids for a while. I want to be there when they play their ball games. And our daughter's having surgery in March. And we've got to be there to help her and keep all of the kids. Linda, take care of that. I'm coming back home. <laughs> I want to be committed to our church, to this church. I don't want to move my membership, but, but I've, you know, I've learned already, never say never. I don't know what the Lord has in store. He may say, oh, yes, you will. I don't know. It's just uncertain in those matters other than what I've shared with you. I want to wait and work and watch for the return of Jesus and long for him to come. I want to continue to grow and mature as a Christian. I have so much yet to learn and to do, but I am confident of this one thing, that God who led me in the past and who has been my helper will continue to do so. And I know that the next pastor, the next pastor to whom I'll pass the torch the 23rd pastor, that you'll be just as faithful to the Lord and to this church and that you'll not stop coming and go somewhere else and do something else and stop giving because I'm no longer the pastor. Don't be committed to me. You be committed to the Lord. He's the one to whom we are committed. He's the one that we love. He's the one that we worship and that we serve. And so don't drop the torch. Don't let the torch burn out. Your next pastor, I beg of you, I plead with you, I pray that you will accept him, pray for him, support him, love him. Changes are coming, but changes can be good. It has been said that our blessings can go to either the head or to the heart. If our blessings go to the head, we'll become haughty. But if it comes to the heart, we will be humble. And I hope that you'll not get the impression that I'm the only one that God has or ever will help. Please don't focus on me. Focus on God and his providential care and his guidance and help. God cares about you as much as he cares about me. And God will be your helper just as much as he has been my helper. All of us have our Ebenezer stones that we should raise. Because there have been many times in all of our lives that God has helped us. And we should be filled with gratitude for all that God has done for us. And so today... Today may be a time for some of you
to raise your Ebenezer stone. For some of you, this may be the day that you become a Christian. This may be the day when the Holy Spirit will just take hold of you and convict you to show you and convince you that, you, that you're lost without Jesus and that, that you must repent of your sins and turn to Jesus and invite him into your heart and embrace him as your Lord and as your Savior. And if you've never done that, but you feel the convicting power and leadership of the Lord to do that, then do that. Don't leave this place without your raising your Ebenezer stone of salvation and say, this is the day that I trusted Christ and he saved me from my sins. For some of the rest of you, this could be the day of your Ebenezer when you feel that you are a Christian and you're looking for a church home and you feel under God's Holy Spirit leadership that this is the place that he would have you to come, place your life and your membership. We would welcome you to this church of love a place where people love Jesus and love one another and would welcome you with open arms no matter what your age is, no matter what your background may be, as long as you know Jesus as your Savior, then you are welcomed in our church family. So, Andre, if you would come, please, at this time, and uh, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And if God is speaking to your heart today and uh, somehow or another through this uh, this. Uh, testimony that I've, I've been trying to share with you of how God has been my helper uh, to assure you and to encourage you to let him be your helper as well. So let's all stand together, please. And if you have a decision to make, I'll be here at the front.